today. So uh, let's get off right into it uh, regarding what's happened since we last had a show in November. Uh, the offseason's heated up quite a bit. Rockies have been involved. They've been making some, uh, some notable moves. Um, and I think that for the most part, uh, they were all after uh, our last episode. So we have a couple specific things to talk about. But first, I just want to ask you, Andrew, what are your thoughts in general on what the Rockies have done so far and where they need to go from here? Well, so far what we've <clears throat> seen is uh, the biggest parts are uh, the, the big extension to Tulowitzki, which we'll touch on in a bit if we feel up to it, and uh, the De La Rosa signing. Mm-hmm. But past that, we obviously signed Ty Wiginton to a two-year deal with a 30-year option, and uh, De La Rosa – or not De La Rosa um, – trade, made a trade for Jose Lopez, who was a non-tender candidate in Seattle – those are the two biggest moves on uh, my mind. I mean, we've heard that the Rockies have been involved in several other rumors, including uh, Michael Young of the Texas Rangers. But yeah, that was that, that was an interesting story. It, it kind of it kind of would go away, but it wouldn't go away. Mm-hmm. And everyone was saying, "Oh yeah," Texas was saying, "We're not going to trade you, Michael Young." And then they're like, Psst, "We want to trade Michael Young." Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'm wondering how much of it was the Rangers actually saying, Psst, "We want to trade Michael Young," and how much was the Rockies saying. Uh, we uh we want Michael Young. Um, seriously, let's keep talking about this. Yeah, it, se- it seemed like the Rockies were really the only uh, uh, team that was really actively uh, in talks about this, and it, pretty much everyone's saying the talks never got serious. And I guess by serious, they mean beyond. Hey, we're interested in Michael Young. Throw throw us some names, maybe salary numbers, etc., and then just never went beyond that because I think as has been discussed back when the thing was going on, uh, it, it really didn't make any sense for it, for, for either side to do this. Yeah, no, I mean, it, well, it, kind of, it depends on how you look at making sense. Cause there's a lot of different ways to look at things that make sense. Cause yeah, that's true. In, in a way, the Rocky did make sense for the Rockies because, okay, we could, we could use a guy with his skill set. The reason it didn't make sense. Finances. It would have cost a pile. Yeah. Really, if we think about how much, um, if you just look at this in a very grand view with both teams, it would be the Rangers need a salary dump so they can go after Beltre or Cliff Leach more strongly, and the Rockies could use a guy like Michael Young at second base and batting out of the two-hole. And, I mean, if you think about it, a batting lineup that has your top four players of Fowler, because I don't see where else he would bat other than leadoff. Um, and then especially, Young, well, especially if Eric Young isn't even on the team, which is now a possibility. Yeah. But I mean, considering that Eric Young is a fringe player at this point, and Dexter Fowler is a starting player at this point, right? I mean, Fowler is the most likely leadoff candidate. Agreed. Um, and then Young would be the number two hitter, not necessarily because I like him in the two hole, but I mean, in kind of a traditional way, he profiles the two hole hitter, good contact skills, move the runner, stuff like that. And by this uh, Young, you mean a hypothetical Michael sorry, Young? Sorry, Michael. Michael Young. Yeah. Michael Young. It's going to be a bit confusing with two guys at second base 
Anthony Young. Young. <laughs> but I'm, assume that from here on I'm talking about Michael Young. But a guy like Michael Young, he ha- he his batting average has declined over the last few years, but he's still a ridiculous contact hitter. He hits, has good line drive rates, and uh, he would do a decent job as being the two-hole hitter. Mm-hmm. The downside of him, obviously, is the fact that he's going to cost money. So realistically, if you look at it, it's just a salary dump. And I was following uh, one of the Texas beat writers saying uh, that this would be a, not necessarily a franchise killer, because, I mean, they just got off a World Series run there, but, uh, you know, Michael Young is a clubhouse leader and a franchise kind of I mean, he's not good enough to be a franchise player. He's had a couple years of just being awesome and more years of being mediocre. And But he's been there the longest, you know, and so he's the franchise-type guy. Mm-hmm. But he, uh, so it would pretty much be a big fan fallout if they just dumped Young for <coughs> salary reasons. And you can probably make a comparison with the Rockies in 2007 when, uh... All, the, all those talks about Helton to Boston and stuff. Precisely. Yeah. And I mean, that was, a, you know, a big deal, but it just never materialized because the Rockies didn't get the guys that they were, uh, looking for in, in return. And so... As Woody Page said, and like I said in one in, in uh, a comment on Rock Scroll's most recent article, is that uh, well, most recent not Rock Pile article is that he's Woody Page said that the Rocky, uh, the Todd Helton did the classy thing by allow by agreeing to waive his no trade clause for the Rockies, and the Rockies did the classy thing by not just making it a salary dump and actually saying if you don't give us a legit return for Todd Helton, we're not giving him up. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, think about how that would have rolled out. I mean, if the Rockies had still somehow made the World Series, and same with uh, Boston, it would have been the same situation. Well, the same but more embarrassing situation is Benji Molina going to Texas and then both the Giants and the Rangers making the World Series. Yeah, uh, that that was definitely an interesting situation there. But we know that it would have been a fan fallout. All the, the cheap ownership allegations would have just risen to the surface all over again, and everyone would have freaked out some more, and... It would have just been a bad move for the Rockies at the time. <clears throat> With the Rangers, I can't imagine it would have been much better. I don't think it would have been as bad, but, uh, yeah, that's about the size of it. Mm-hmm. So it's a little disappointing they didn't make the move, but the fact that they were talking about it, I mean, it, when people say when, during trade talks, during offseason, during the trade deadline, stuff like that, when you hear a rumor, and then people say, well, there's smoke, there's fire. Well, a lot of people get mad at people who say that, give that line, because it doesn't necessarily mean anything. No. People try to say, oh, well, they're talking about it so much, there must be a trade imminent. Well, that's the, usually the criticism from the people who don't like that viewpoint, the smoke and fire, because they're reading into, oh, a trade must be imminent. But if the Rocky, if these uh, Michael Young rumors stayed along for several days here, it doesn't necessarily mean that oh, a trade's imminent and everyone's just lying about it. It just means that they're talking about it, which at least shows interest from both sides. And when you think about the fact that Michael Young is an expensive, aging player, but he's, you know, would probably fit the role right now, mm-hmm. it just shows, it, it's interesting that the Rockies are willing to make a more risky move like that in trade to try to fill a hole so they can be a more competitive team all around. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I found that was... Uh, you know, interesting because we never hear the Rockies in, involved in talks like that. It's always for their utility for utility type guys or supplemental guys because they want their own uh, homegrown guys to be the guys like Tulowitzki, like Stewart, Ionetta, um, Smith, Gonzalez. You get the idea. You know, <clears throat> I mean, I guess Gonzalez isn't one of our guys in that regard, but he's, he's close. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, I've noticed that. Uh, I mean, it's 
I'd say it'd be pretty fairly fair to say that the uh, Rockies have been one of the five most active teams this off season, and that's kind of a new thing. They uh, in the past often wait until the, uh, the 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 top tier types have all been signed after a market's been set, and then just kind of. Uh, it's, it's not quite picking off the scrap heap, as some people like to say, because we've we've made some fair signings in off seasons before. But it, it's usually sort of a reactionary uh, event in, instead of sort of something that will come before everybody else gets on on, on the train. And uh, I think that uh, that sort of uh, that sort of uh, I guess perspective on off season activity is. Uh, potentially going to pay off in the sense that we wound up with a couple players that I don't know that we uh, really expected. I mean, I'm specifically talking about re-signing Jorge De La Rosa uh, because that that idea was lost for some time. I mean, it, as, as early as the middle of the season, we were kind we, we kind of saw uh, it almost, uh, almost set in stone that we weren't going to be able to re-sign him. But as many people have pointed out, that's, you know, it, it in a sense, it's sort of a lateral move when you compare the previous team to the current team. Um, but I still think that signing is, is is more important than that. I think that uh, the team compared to the, uh, the the sort of projected team we were going to have before is, is is a little bit more important to look at. And I think that that's a pretty significant improvement, especially considering how much our team underperformed last year. So yeah. I guess we'll... Where I'm going with this is, we sign we sign De La Rosa. We grab a couple new players in Lopez and Wigginton. Do you think that where we stand right now, all the current holes included, like maybe a fifth outfielder or backup catcher type, uh, we have a team that can uh, likely perform at or better than the the 2010 team. Well, we've got to remember one thing about the 2010 team is that there were a lot of injuries there. Yep. For example, oh, one player who comes to mind specifically, and it, it, it's funny because he, he normally isn't the first person you think of when you think of injury. When you think of the injured players, you think of Tulowitzki breaking his wrist, De La Rosa missing uh, part of the season with that finger injury, um, Street and Francis starting the season late. Brad Hopp was actually one of the... Uh, bigger injuries on the team if you think about it because well he's the kind of guy who takes a while to heat up and get on a hot streak um he never got that chance to heat up and get on a hot streak and right he'd start to slowly heat up it would just be something weird like he ran into the wall that one time and just a bunch of little nagging injuries that would basically take him out for a week or maybe a one a minimum dl stint I don't think he ever actually ended up going on the DL last year I think uh I I, I can I can check but I think that uh, he, well, what would happen is he would uh, he would take you know a three four days off, and they were hoping that you know the bruising on his ribs or whatever would go away. And it's like it's like being so so uh, careful to try and keep him on the roster and try to make sure that he would never uh, have to go down. And, and if I recall, this was also when Gonzalez was having some issues. Uh, they tried to keep him around. Uh, as much as possible and active, uh, but what it seemed like he really needed was you know a couple weeks rest before he could get going again, mm-hmm. and they never really got the opportunity to do that. 
Yeah, exactly. And when you consider the fact that Brad Hopp, even if he is uh, streaky and somewhat inconsistent, season to season he is a consistent batter. You know you're going to get an 870 OPS or higher from him. Good on base percentage, too many strikeouts, but that's just kind of the nature of the Rockies right now. And good power was bad. I mean, he's never you know, been a 30 home run hitter, but 20 to 25 is always what Brad Hopp's providing. He's a very, he was a very solid bat, and missing him for so much of the season, or I should say, not getting to get to hot streak Brad Hop, mm-hmm. really, really sunk the team's offense a lot there. I mean, it's like we uh, over at my uh, my folks' house, and my dad and I get rambling about baseball. Brad Hop, when he is hot, can carry a lineup. When he is cold, at least he can get on base well enough so that he's not a complete black hole. He Hop did go on the DL in April, but w- when he banged in, into the wall and had that whole uh, torso issue, he uh, did not. So uh, I don't remember what happened in April, uh, but he was on the DL for for a short time there. So yeah, that's one of the not having a full season of someone healthy, just by the nature of um, you know anyone being able to play and maybe get on a hot streak or not will be more productive than Hop was, because we seem to get the cold Hop, and like I said, never get to the hot Hop. Mm-hmm. So having even Seth Smith be more mediocre than Hop will still be more productive than 2010 Brad Hop, and I'm not trying to fault Hop in this. It was just, you know, poor timing, etc. Mm-hmm. And of course with Smith, uh, who was one of the players that we would have really needed to step up when Hop uh, was on and off injured and then eventually released. He also struggled with that uh, that position at the time, much more so than than we would expect in the future. So mm-hmm. that's that's another area where uh, that could potentially be uh, an upgrade without actually having to sign somebody else or trade for somebody like Josh Willingham or something like that. Mm-hmm. As much as I would have liked Willingham in there, just because he would have fit the profile as a right-handed bat, so on and so forth. Um, Five-hole hitter, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was excited about the idea of him because I won't lie, Andrew Fisher and his writing about Willingham really kind of sold me on him. Mm -hmm. But when you think about it a bit there, he's not a huge average hitter. He does strike out a lot, Mm -hmm. he walks a lot, and he hits for power. That sounds like half of the lineup as it is right now. Um, You think, I mean, like, these guys who are on our team who struggle in the form of Ionetta and Stewart are huge uh, power hitters with good on-base skills as far as walking goes, but their their actual batting average hasn't come around enough to really turn the, the on-base skills into actual on-base production. Mm-hmm. So having another guy like that, like Willingham, while Willingham is more there than Stewart and Ionetta are, and I'm not trying to draw a direct line between the three of them, but it just adds another dimension of kind of the same, walks and, walks and home runs. And I'm not bad-mouthing that, because over a season, that's production. And if, you know, a lot of teams do succeed like that. But um, this brings me to Jose Lopez. Mm -hmm. And Jose Lopez is a, you know, decent hitter. Um, He just basically got screwed on a lot of... uh, when he, when he was hitting his line drives, he was unstoppable. I mean, he was opsing over 1,500 when, when on his line drive hits. But um, on his grounders and flies, he was he just could not. I mean, fly balls you don't expect to ever fall for hits, really. Although there's a better chance that they will in Coors Field. Um, just seeing how he had gigantic power alley, so those fly balls might end up being, you know, kind of those line drive fly balls. But grounders, just nothing got through the infield for him this year. So having a guy who hits good line drives 
And like I just mentioned, when he hit the line drive, it's over a 1,500 OPS, and he's batting like 700 or something like that. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's going to provide just a different type of player. I, I like guys who walk more because you know that they're going to make a pitcher work. Right. And you know that that's, uh, they're more likely to create a base runner, even if they're not necessarily creating a hit. But after a while, you know, um, Jose Lopez is almost like the antithesis of Ian Stewart or Ionetta, except for the power numbers, because he can still put up a, a good ISO, um, your slugging minus your batting average, basically your extra base hit average. He, he has a chance of um, being able to provide that power still, but he'll swing at anything. He, which is also funny because he swings at everything, but he makes a lot of contact as well. So it's not just that he swings and strikes out at everything. We're not talking about Mark Reynolds here. Uh, it'll provide a uh, – there's a good chance that he won't let that good pitch go by. Because when Stewart and Ionetta look at a good pitch, they're like, oh, it's not perfect enough for me, and they'll let it go by. And then they're forced to feast on – I mean, the pitcher just made his pitch, and now they have to – or he made the pitch that he got away with, and now they have to feast on, or uh, try to get hits off – of the pitcher's pitches, and then they strike out or Dexter, ground out. Dexter Fowler's had that problem too sometimes. Yes, yeah, he absolutely has. That's a good point mentioning Fowler and the uh, almost overly patient. Lopez is not that hitter, and I'm not trying to say that that necessarily is a good thing because, like I said, a bad on-base percentage is a bad on-base percentage, but coming out of the seven-hole, it's not going to be that big of a deal. If they put him in the two-hole, I'm going to go slap someone. Well, I would hope they don't put him in the two-hole, but I think there's a chance that, it, especially if he's starting at second base, he winds up in you know maybe the fifth or sixth hole I don't as opposed to the seventh. I might, you might see him in the five just out of a uh, you know, whole veteran-y thing, but uh, I don't know. I, um, I could see them putting Smith in the five-hole. Yeah, that too. Um, yeah, I mean, Lopez is probably going to bat seventh unless something miraculous happens with his bat if he has, like, a Miguel Olivo start to the season. Uh-huh. Then we might see him as high as two or, you know, maybe in the five, depending on what his uh, his bat is looking like. But, like, if things all went right for the Rockies this year, and come on, when are they all? I mean, outside of September of 2007 and, you know, Jim Tracy era 2009, when have things gone completely right for this team? Mm-hmm. And you obviously can't really expect that to happen. No, for, I mean, for, that would, for anybody, yeah. 2007 was just pure magic, but uh, if everything went right, you'd see a Fowler in the leadoff spot. I still have no, I mean, maybe even Seth Smith in the two-hole. What about Helton? Hel- I mean, it, hmm. I like the idea of Helton in the two-hole, but it re- I mean, if, again, if everything goes right, Helton is not a bad idea for the two-hole. He's just slow as dirt. He is, and I, I, I think we've had this discussion before, not only in comment sections, but also on the podcast. I, I like the idea of Helton in, in, in the two spot, and, and I think we both agreed that the, the two-hole hitter doesn't necessarily need to be, like, a fast runner. The uh, the the key, I think, is, is, is much more on-base production, and while yeah. Helton, Helton's uh, numbers in the on-base category last year were not very Helton-like, I still haven't given up on the fact that even if he's lost the ability to, you know, hit hit over 300 every season, he can still at least get on base more often than he did last year if he's healthy. Oh yeah, that is a good. There's no way. I mean, if he's healthy, you're not. I, I predicted before last season that Todd Helton was going to experience his first sub 900 OPS season. That doesn't count like his call up year or whatever, uh-huh. and he sure did in the worst possible way. But you saw that when he came off the disabled list for that, you know, another back strain, that he suddenly just took off and started hitting the ball everywhere and then slowed down again. I'm, uh, 
I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what to do with it and whether that means he was just lying about being healthy all season, but he's got to be very, very upfront with Keith Duggar all year long about how healthy he is and how he's feeling to make sure that he is as re- rehabilitated as possible and, you know, up to as the playing stuff, which is another reason why they got Wigington as well, because mm-hmm. they cannot afford to put and I, I hate to ever say this, it just sounds so wrong and sacrilegious as a Rockies fan, but they cannot afford to give Todd Helen as much faith as they have the past couple of years. Well, they, so, they especially can't afford to give him, you know, five starts out of six every no. uh, every time. He needs to be sitting. I mean, a, a platoon situation, in my opinion, is pretty ideal. Helton 3 of 5 would probably be ideal, assuming he's fully healthy. Mm-hmm. So if Todd Helton is fully healthy... The reason, um, there's two ways to look at it. If you look at it sabermetrically, you want the guy with, um, you know, very good on-base percentage and then better better slugging numbers than your leadoff hitter batting second. Um, And then you want your guy who has also, you know, probably the best, the highest, you know, OPS or whatever, but more slugging heavy in the four-hole. And the three-hole hitter is actually, uh, by the sabermetric lineup, not, actually the fifth most important, and it's just based on times that they come up with the bases empty. So they're saying, yeah, the number of times, if, if the number four-hole hitter has a better chance of coming on with the bases, you know, occupied, as well as the two-hole hitter. Well, you want the two-hole hitter to basically be like your second leadoff hitter in the sense of being able to get someone on base, period. But the number of times that the one and two will make it out and the number three hole hitter comes up with nobody on, why waste an excellent bat there if there's nobody on? I mean, uh-huh. then expect to start a two-out rally. I mean, two-out rallies aren't uh, ideal. They're great, they're fun, but they're not ideal. So that's just sabermetrically speaking. More traditionally speaking, you want to have your speed burner up at the top of the lineup to kind of throw the pitcher off, and then you want your two-hole hitter to be a guy with good bat control and uh, good contact skills to be able to hit the ball in a, in a way that will either result in a hit, or you can put the hit and run on, or he'll be able to take advantage of a distracted hitter, or pitcher, I mean. And things th- along those lines. And those things all match up with Helton well. Yeah. I'd like to have that speed combo at the top, like 2007 with Willie and Kaz, and then if things had panned out nicely, or if you just go back to 2008 uh, uh, Tulsa, when you had EY and Dex. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it's, it, you, we know what the one-two speed combo at the top can do, but if you don't have that one-two speed combo, I would much rather put the sl- Todd Helton in the two-hole than put a crappy hitter on just because he's fast. Right. So and Helton in the two makes sense. Yeah, pretty much the the very most simple way I think about the two-hole is that you want somebody who can take a uh, hopefully productive leadoff at bat from somebody and hand it over to the three-hole hitter, so it's better than it was before the two-hole hitter came up. Uh, basically, some sort of production that will advance a runner, or if the leadoff hitter failed, will provide a, a significant chance of setting up something for the the, the later guys anyway. Uh, and somebody with high on-base skills, like Helton, uh, can be very effective in that sort of role. Uh, obviously, I think the three and four spots are pretty much determined uh, in the lineup. But everything else, to me, I think is still a pretty big question mark. Yeah, ideally speaking, and if Ian Stewart puts it together, I would love to see him in the five. Love to see him in the five, because with just his pure slugging abilities, he is going to clear the bases very, very well. Mm -hmm. And um, from there, Ionetta could fit in the six or the seven hole, because, I mean, you're looking at kind of the same skill set as Stewart, just from the right side. He'll probably be batting eighth a lot, though. 
he will be batting eighth wide because, you know, you're catcher bad faith, apparently. Well, and your Jose Lopez's get to bat earlier, I guess. But, yeah, I uh, so. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, talking about Lopez, we still don't really know for sure exactly what he's going to be doing for the team. Uh, I had expressed interest in Lopez. I was one of the only ones who was pro-Lopez for a few weeks there. But it was under the impression that he would be more of a utility guy who might be starting, you know, twice a week at first base, maybe once a week at third and now there's, I mean, w- w- as we know, all our young second base types in Nelson and Herrera and Young, they all still have an option left through 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 various uh, uh, methods last last season. Uh, young and uh, Nelson both have one left anyway, and Herrera was called back up quickly enough so it didn't count. But um, we had been assuming for quite some time that one of these guys was going to win the, the, the spot. But now, the way they've been treating this, there's a rather significant chance that at the very least, Jose Lopez is going to be in contention for that second base spot and maybe even the favorite. Uh, do you like that idea, or would you prefer to see one of the young guys capture that spot? Well, hmm. I don't... I figure we just traded for Jose Lopez... We have the room to let the other guys uh, go down to AAA and continue working and so on and so forth. But with the, uh, I don't know, I mean, cost-effectively speaking, Lopez is going to be more expensive than those other guys. Mm-hmm. But I, I doubt, and people like to say, well, he was a non-tender. There's no, you know, why do we trade for him and pay him more money? It's the same reason that, that Houston traded for Barnes. For Barnes, yeah, him. it was the same situation. Exactly, except that I, I mean, I can... I can, you could probably make the case that Jose Lopez would be at least at least near product, as productive, if not distinctively more productive than Clint Barmas would be at second base. So, except defensively, except defensively, but if we're looking yeah. at the entire package, then uh, I think that his uh, it's tough to say because with, with guys who don't get on base well and are mostly looking at slugging to fill out their OPS. I'm always apprehensive about them. I mean, you think always going to Coors. That means he's in a slug a zillion. Not necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Not necessarily at all. I mean, that's they're very volatile hitters, and they're very, very, very prone to streakiness. And without solid on-base skills, I mean, when they get cold, they just become worthless. And as I pointed out it, at, right after the trade, Barmas and Lopez actually have had two pretty similar years back-to-back. 2009 was a huge year for both of them. They set power uh, career seasons with power. They both had mid twenties home runs. Uh, they 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 produced far more power, far better power numbers than they ever had in their careers. And then they had a, a drop off in 2010, where they they two hitters who have had struggles with getting on base both had worse than normal even for them years in that regard, and. Both of their teams were struggling to find value in putting them in the lineup every day, and so in that, and I think both of them ended up with somewhere around you know eight to ten home runs that year. So uh, they, they kind of mirror each other in that regard, and I certainly agree that Lopez. An argument can absolutely be made that Lopez can outperform Clint Barmas offensively, but. Even as someone who is uh, kind of backing Lopez here, I think that that's far from a guarantee. And it is nice to, at the very least, know that, hey, worst-case scenario, 
we could bench him, use him as a as sort of a right-handed, uh, maybe occasional first base guy, although I think that's going to mostly be Wigginton, maybe backing up Stewart every once in a while, and then call up somebody like uh, Chris Nelson or something to take over second base. Uh, at the very least, we have depth there. Yeah. I guess is what so, I'm saying. Which is a good thing. If we want to have a... If it's, I, 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 I like the idea of a position battle, and I, you know, ideally speaking, Chris Nelson would put it all together and be the second baseman, and you know people would rejoice, and it would be just the greatest time ever, but the organization clearly doesn't have that same faith, Nel- especially with Nelson's injury history with Eric Young, uh, well, essentially not performing so far. We need to see a lot out of them in AAA. Yeah. And they basically need to make it undeniable they belong in the majors before they belong in the majors, before they get that shot. Because we've seen a lot of guys do tremendous things in AAA Colorado Springs, and that doesn't necessarily mean a lick of anything. Right. Yeah, I mean, minor league numbers are indicative of potential more than actual expected performance. So, mm-hmm. so if Nelson goes down there and starts just destroying the baseball, which he already did bit, once. I mean, yeah, last year he was oh he was good. He he um, was he was in our top five OPS for most of the season. I mean, he he was definitely being productive down there. The Sky Sox were not very good last year. No, but I mean, that was especially because of their ridiculously bad pitching. Well, none of their offensive numbers were very impressive either. There there was only, you know, one or two guys who were worth their salt down there, and, like, one of them was uh, Matt Miller, who's with Philadelphia now, and the other one is Cole Garner, who uh, is up here with us. Well, we'll likely... Well, I don't want to say likely, but it's a good chance he'll make a roster spot. But he might, Nelson's, he might. I, I, I'm not sold on that though. Well, Nelson, Nelson batted 317 last uh, year in AAA, and had a 379 on base percentage and a 498 slugging percentage, which is obviously going to be inflated because of uh, uh, security service field. Yeah. And his numbers were altogether good. Once you adjust for park and everything, he was about 25% above average. But he also was sporting a 348 batting average on balls in play. Uh huh. Which isn't that unreasonable to think about, given where he's playing. And we, but we saw, um, I don't know, his strikeout numbers have definitely dropped over the years as well. Um, in 2008, between uh, uh, high A ball and double A, he had about a 25% strikeout rate. And then last year in double A, it was 19.6, and then this year it was 16.6, and uh, in his very limited playing time in the majors uh, this year, 16%. So we're definitely seeing improvements with him, but. Uh, a good, solid, um, what was it, 877 OPS is nothing to sneeze at at all. But when we're talking about 85 games, I'm a little apprehensive about it. Yeah, that that's fair. I, I, I just, I, I, I guess I I certainly don't want to overrate Nelson, or I, I'm not in that crowd that thinks he should be, like, the obvious heir apparent to, to second base I, I would want him to earn the job. At the yeah. same time, I, I don't want anything to be lost on the fact that last year was a true breakout season for him, even if it was not a full season. And he showed... It was a, break, it was quite, a breakout season as far as a minor leaguer goes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, no. it showed that, like, hey, he's not done forever. He's been injured a lot, but he's not cooked. Mm-hmm. It, it was more of a, hey, remember me? I'm okay. Let's make this thing happen. So it, we can, like, look at him as a prospect again and not just uh, that guy who fell apart. Right. But if you can do, make a comparison here, I know we're not talking apples to apples here, but just for comparison, 
In 2009, Gonzalez started, Carlos Gonzalez started out in AAA. He played 48 games down there. He hit, let's see, seven triples in 48 games, which is kind of absurd, along with 10 home runs, 12 doubles. He batted 339 with a 418 on base percentage and a 630 slugging. I mean, a th- over a thousand OPS. That's undeniable. Hey, get me into the freaking majors. I belong there. Right. And, Nel- and, and, and Nelson's numbers, if you with, with a batting head, because even I mean, you got to remember too that everybody bats better at home, no matter what. But then when you factor in in even more extreme hitters park than Coors Field, I mean, I saw the walls there. It's it's not that big of a park, so maybe it's like a minor league Petco with even more inflated home runs. But, uh. The, the, you don't, you don't ha- they're not forced to call him up. No. Which is why Gonzalez spent so much time in AAA as well in 2009, because at the time they were not forced to call him up. Right. We, um, there, there were other players to consider there. So we have other guys at second base, who they, like, and specifically Jose Lopez, who they want to give a major, because he's a major league hitter, even if he's not very good at it. There's no proof that Chris Nelson could even be a major league, you know, a bad major league hitter, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Uh, no, it, it, if, if they were pressed and there was literally no one else other than Herrera and Young to take the job, like literally, yeah, then you go for the three-man battle in spring training and just hope for the best. Mm-hmm. But there's a good chance that Jose Lopez can produce what Nelson will produce and possibly, or, you know, would likely produce in the majors. And possibly uh, exceed that. Possibly very... exceed it significantly, yeah, mm-hmm. depending on how good he can be and how uh, how hypothetically poor Nelson could be in, a, in being introduced to a starting job. Well, so. The fact that nobody's hands are forced is what's making this really plausible. I mean, or, or not necessary, you don't have to go, oh, God, get Chris Nelson in the majors right now. Because much as... Um, it's kind of funny trying to evaluate this trade as a Rocky, or not this trade, but maybe this lack of moves as a Rockies fan, because we've been so indoctrinated into the, hey, our farm guys go first. They're the ones who get the first shot and everything like that. Then to see a farmhand not get the first shot, you know, it, ju- it just seems to be uh, counteractive to what we've seen from the Rockies front office. But uh, we saw earlier this offseason where uh, when you ask the beat reporters what's going on with uh, – you know, the Rockies offseason outlook, they're basically saying, well, they're not going to make gigantic moves. They're going to get some bargain basement players, and they're going to, you know, see what works. And that's exactly what they've done. Although, I, as I've said, I still feel like there's a difference, though. I, 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 I detect a, a desire to, to go out and make these moves earlier than normal, than, than they usually do. Last year... There was no Rockies news significant stuff going on until, you know, mid-January with Olivo and stuff like that. You know, we kind of came out of the gate a little earlier than normal. So I, I think there's the, the, there's a somewhat different philosophy going on there. We're, we're getting similar types of players, but we're the ones setting the trend with them instead of following the trend. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, but the difference is that the needs are more clearly identified. We're not talking about a backup catcher. Because, uh-huh. I mean... Olivo was looked to be, when we acquired him, to be a backup catcher and maybe a platoon catcher if Iannetta fell off the face of the planet. And then he fell off the face of the planet, and Olivo became the starting catcher. Right. It, it was very unexpected. Um, I mean, a lot, of pe- if, a lot of people say, oh, I saw it coming with Iannetta a mile away. The guy sucks or whatever. <laughs> the thing is, this year, our pressing need was we need a second baseman. Uh-huh. We are not confident in the guys we have here. And I'm not 100% confident in Jose Lopez either, so let's not pretend that he is suddenly the 
salvation of the franchise. But right. when they say we're going to look at reclamation, you know, bargain barrel kind of players like Jose Lopez, then they get Jose Lopez. We shouldn't be that surprised. It's the need that they had. And the second need they had was a right-handed complement bat. Not a starting bat, a complement bat. And while I'm still not a giant fan of the Ty Wigginton acquisition, um, they made it clear this is what they're looking for. Uh-huh. And they went and got it. With a backup catcher market, you just wait to see what's left. Right. I mean, and we, and we, we also have options within the organization if we have to. to I don't uh, like our in-house options. I don't, I don't either, and I think there's room for improvement there uh, significantly. But I, I do want to point out that it was a lot scarier when there was a chance that one of our catchers was going to have to be playing some first base. And yeah. Meaning that our backup catcher was either going to have to be in the lineup regularly or was going to have to at least be catching when Ionetta was at a corner somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we can get away with, you know, a, a more regular backup schedule, which makes it, I think, it put, puts a little less pressure on trying to go out and get somebody special for that spot, like Mike Napoli or something. Yeah. I mean, you take a look at um, the, the Rockies' catching situation isn't great, I'm not trying to pretend it's great, but take a look at last the 2009 season. Um, between Ionetta, Tori Alba, Phillips, and like you know one game of Edwin Bayarino, however long he was up, they produced about 2.7 WAR for the team. Uh huh. And I know WAR is a bit sketchy when you look at catchers, but I'm just throwing this out there for the sake of discussion. 2010, however. There's a bit of a change there because, like I said, we or like we all know, Ionetta fell off a cliff. Alivo had his hot streak. So between Alivo, Ionetta, Phillips, and McHenry, you actually had 3.7 WAR coming out of those players, and a lot of that came off uh, Miguel Alivo. But a lot of it, again, catcher WAR is kind of sketchy. But a lot the number of guys he threw out really is what built his value in. He ended up in the season as a below-average bat just because he fell off so completely in the last two months of the season. Um, they have faith that Ionetta is going to rebound and is going to produce similar to 2009, where he profiled as roughly a league-average player. He was a two-war player in 2009. And so getting a backup catcher, they're going to hope to just catch another uh, Miguel Olivo type or maybe even a someone less than that, who is likely going to produce decent backup value Mm -hmm. and uh, be able to fill in the gaps well, and Ionetta will produce well from where he was. Hitting 2.7 war over one season, or 3.7 in the case of 2010, out of your catcher spot is not a bad thing at all. Um, That's league average production out of the catcher spot, and I am comfortable with that. Are there any specific players on the... uh on the market right now, trade market or free agent market, uh, that you would be interested in looking at for a backup catcher spot? Well, I saw the idea of Greg Zahn. I mean, I know he's older, and uh, well, and by older, I mean, you know, old, old, old. So let me see if I can actually see how old he is here, because it's kind of a joke anymore. He has an awesome website, though. Oh, his website's <laughs> hilarious. Oh, yeah, man, bring your, Z ga- bring your Z game. That he it was 39 last year with Milwaukee, and he is going to be 30 or 40 this year. He only put in 28 games with Milwaukee, but he did post a 350 on base percentage in that limited playing time. Um, I wouldn't as it's. I'm trying to think if 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 Ionetta goes down again, 
for whatever reason, whether he's hurt or whether he just can't bat worth a lick, the 2010 or 2011 catcher production is just going to be screwed. So if we're going to have to pick up a guy like Greg Zahn to be the backup, and then something you know catastrophic happens with Chris Iannetta, well, you know what? We're just going to kind of have to deal with that because uh, um, McHenry is going to be probably the guy then because they'll probably they'll, they'll be looking at glove first, like you should with a catcher. Uh, I mean, unless you have a you know Mike Piazza type, which we don't. You just try to get to the guy who's going to do the thing that a catcher needs to do the best, and that's catch the ball and try to control the running game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, well, I'm not 100% sure what Greg Zahn's capabilities are about like that anymore. I would not mind having a 340-plus on-base percentage coming out of our catcher slot, mm-hmm. especially if it's in front of the pitcher. I mean, worst-case scenario, situationally speaking, we'll be turning over the lineup a lot. Right. And uh-huh. he had... Go, Go ahead. ahead. Oh, uh, how how much do you think that uh, Zahn would go for financially? Uh, good question. Um, he didn't make that much in Milwaukee last year. He, um, let's see if I can get his salary numbers here. It looks like he made a big question mark. Um, quickly to Cots contracts. I don't know if he'll be up there right now. I mean, unless there's like a free agent. Uh, yep, free agent position players. There you go. I always just sort. I always just sort, sort by team there. So, yeah, Greg's on one year, two point one five million plus twenty eleven club option. Something like that would probably be what, similar to what he'd be making mm-hmm. at his age. I, I don't mean to just you know badmouth him as being an older player, but he can't be expecting much more than that anymore. Yeah, that's well, unless you're Jason Kendall for some reason. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I I I hadn't really thought of Zahn actually, so. Kind of mulling around with that. Uh, he he was a Rocky at one point, was he not? Yeah, years okay. ago. He um, let's see. What yeah, because I I I obviously don't know the early two thousands Rockies very well, so I thought he was there, but yeah. Two thousand three, spent half a season with, or no, fifteen games with Colorado. Ah, so, so um, just a, a taste. Yeah. Yeah, slightly below league average bat. If you when you account for park and stuff like that, see, how did he get to Colorado? Um, he signed as a free agent with Colorado. In 2003, and then, let's see, 2000, um, who signed that contract? Whatever, he made something like a million, million and a half, somewhere in there, and this is 2003, so you can't really compare salary numbers, just apples to apples there. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't hate paying $2 million for Greg Zahn, I really would not. And I, I, I think there would be room in the budget to do something like that, and I, I think, I feel like I, I don't follow the backup catcher market too closely. I know, uh, who was it who just signed? Was it Will Nieves who just signed? I think so. He's like the only backup catcher type name that I've heard signed recently. I, I, I guess unless you include Paul Phillips, but that uh, I, uh, he's still kind of a quadruple A type guy. So. Well, Diana Navarro signed with the Dodgers. That's right. Uh, Ryan, I, I, Paulino I, signed with the Mets. That, I, I forgot about Paulino, but I always still think of Deanna Navarro as a starting catcher, but he won't be, be because no, no, uh, no. Uh, uh, Rod Barajas is also in L.A. So, guys out there, um, Josh Bard, for example, is out there, Henry Blanco, Gerald Laird, 
Russell Martin, who's kind of a non-option for the Rockies right. teams. Yeah. Uh, ben Molina, Matt Trainer, and Greg Zahn. Out of those guys, um, obviously Greg Zahn would be one of my targets. Uh, Josh Bard could be interesting on, because we're, of his we're, history of the Rockies. Yeah, history. we're always linked to Bard because of the Colorado connection. But uh, yeah. I don't know if we're ever going to actually wind up with him sometime. Although, hey, maybe so. He was born in Ithaca, and they went to high school in Cherry Creek. Uh-huh. Did you know that? Cherry Creek. God, that's the problem with having Colorado guys. Um, is that all you ever hear about is, hey, they went to high school out here, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. He was traded with Jody Garrett in 2001 to the Indians for Jacob Cruz. Um, Bard looks to be a really rough acquisition. He had a couple good seasons. 2006 was a real good season for him, and uh, except when he got to Boston, then he kind of fell apart. And since then, he's kind of watched, had a very declining um Batting line and last season was he batted two fourteen with a two seventy six on base and a three fifty seven slugging. So offensively, he'd be a pretty bad option. I don't think I would want him around. Uh, Gerald Laird's an interesting option because he's supposedly defensively sound, but I don't know. Studies have shown that he might not be. But once again, catcher numbers are kind of hard to quantify there. And Matt Trainer is thirty five, but he is also an interesting option. He was a uh, yeah, he was in Texas last year, and he posted a line similar to what Josh Bard did, so I don't think I'd want to pick up either of those guys there. So really, when it comes to backup free agent catchers, either we promote from within, or we go after, in my opinion, go after Greg Zahn, or you could conceivably see them making a stronger push for uh, Russell Martin. Uh-huh. It, in, internally, I mean, obviously, Mike McHenry would be the favorite, but we also have Matt Pagnozzi. Uh, signed to a minor league contract. I don't know much about him, but he would be the second option there because uh, I don't think they'd promote Jordan Pacheco straight to the majors, and I also don't think that Willian Rosario is going to be in consideration for more than one reason, mostly, though, because of uh, he's still going to be... Uh, he, he's ahead of schedule on recovering from the, the torn ACL, but he's not going to be ready to play right away. So... Uh, I think that internally it's going to be one of the other two guys first. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, McHenry is going to be the most likely to... Well, I don't know. I don't even want to say that necessarily. He he has a slight advantage just simply from being on the roster already. If we had to, we could... I mean, we, we still have room on the roster right now. We have two open spots, so we could add somebody else pretty easily. We don't have to worry about like doing all sorts of crazy roster juggling right now. So, um, I wouldn't worry too much about that perspective. No, um, we, well, one of the roster spots is going to be taken up by a relief pitcher. Uh, we saw from Thomas Harding on Sunday morning that he, uh, the Rockies do have some room left in their budget. It's not, you know, there's obviously not Adrian Beltre room or something silly like that. But they are interested in picking, going after Hart after another relief pitcher who may or may not, which may or may not be a great idea. Probably a left-hander, because as it stands, we have Franklin Morales and uh, Matt Reynolds. Matt Reynolds. And Matt Reynolds is a rookie, so not to try to badmouth his skills or whatever, but there's just, it's just a lot to throw at a rookie, and Franklin Morales is Franklin Morales. There's not a lot we can do about Franklin Morales, though. He's going to be on the team unless we somehow trade him by, uh, by, the, by opening day. Uh, so I'd be interested to see if there ends up being a Jorge De La Rosa type deal made with him. Uh, he's traded off somewhere. 
as a sort of a reclamation project? Essentially, yeah. I don't know who we'd get back for him, but the thing where he's out of options, there's not necessarily room for him. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, but the the thought is that they're going to go after a left-handed reliever. Um, I think we saw his link to Jesse Crane. Uh, type B was offered arbitration, but that doesn't mean anything for us. It just gives the uh, Twins a sandwich pick. But there's a right. handful of teams in on Jesse Crane, which is the uh, um, not disturbing part, but uh, it's going to make it a lot harder to pick him up. And he's going to be looking for a two, three-year deal. Doesn't Crane have a Colorado connection somewhere, too? That's a good question. Or did I make that up? I thought that... It, it, I now need to look him up. Nope, he was in high school in Boulder. There you go. Heavy. <laughs> it's always high school, like you said. Let's see. Joaquin Benoit... Oh, blah, blah, blah. Let's see. Jesse Crane is one of the better set-up men, although he's not left-handed, if I recall correctly. You know, he's a right-hander. Yeah, he is. But he's one of the guys we're looking at. Anyhow, just to point that out, I think he's uh, kind of a... He's um, good, I guess. Uh, he, he's not bad. He's just kind of meh. And uh-huh. he's probably inflated by having a very low batting average on balls in play in the 2010 season. Um, where are those numbers? I suppose I have those right in front of me. Dropping the ball on myself here. Stupid baseball reference and not having those numbers. More stats. I said more, not less. Um, <laughs> oh, there we go. Uh, no, 267 isn't that far out of the lines of reason, but considering he's uh, the last three, four seasons, it's always been above 280 and almost above 290 for a batting average on balls in play. 267 is pretty low. Mm-hmm. So he still walked too many guys, an uncomfortable amount for me, and uh, he actually was able to limit slugging pretty well. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, – I, I don't know. He's looking for a multi-year deal. I don't give it to him personally. I don't give many relievers multi-year deals. No, and we already have a, we already have a couple of them. So. Yeah, I mean in the form of Street and Betancourt. And, of course, Betancourt's on his last year now. So, yeah. Uh, I, I – It'll be interesting to see where the bullpen goes next uh, next year because between last season and this season, not a whole lot of change is is, is going to happen. But uh, like I said, they're going to look for another reliever. Joe right. Bryan was still out there. Yep. I mean, I guess Randy Flores is too. But good lord, JP Howell. I, I, I'd rather have I'd rather have Matt Reynolds than Flores, and I say that as a huge fan of Flores. Uh, well, we're, keep, we're keeping Matt. Well, Matt Reynolds isn't going anywhere, obviously. Right? No, he'll he'll be optioned if he doesn't make the team. But I feel like they're not going to go with three lefties, and they're also not going to uh, have a way to get rid of Morales unless he's traded. So if they get another lefty, it's going to be at the expense of Reynolds. Yeah, I like the idea of looking at JP Howell, but he's going to be expensive. I mean, he, he posts good numbers. He has a strikeout-to-walk ratio consistently above two. Only year it wasn't above two is his rookie year. Um, his home runs per nine aren't out of the line of reason. It's one, roughly one per nine. Uh, he walks too many guys, but he's able to complement it with a good number of strikeouts. I mentioned that. And uh, he's pitched over, well, over the last three seasons, he's pitched over 50 innings every year. And he has two, he's coming off of two straight sub-three ERA seasons. Okay. So he could be expensive as well, but he's left-handed, and he's a left-handed pitcher too. So that's gonna 
you know, drive things up as well. Right. Which is anything else on him. I'm just kind of cruising through MLB trade rumors as well. But uh, most recently, it looks like uh, the Rays are progressing toward a deal with him, even though he was non-tender. They just kind of, I don't know why they didn't just go to arbitration with him if they're going to make a multi, you know, deal with him anyhow, but... Um, hoping to send him cheaper, I guess. I suppose so, but for a guy who's posted two straight seasons like that, I don't see what they're expecting to get out of him. Uh, another guy I would like to get is Pedro Feliciano. And we've been, chance- we've been linked to him, I believe, a couple yes, places. We have. Yeah. But he, again, is going to be somewhat expensive. Not miserably expensive, but he's going to definitely cost. Uh, J.C. Romero's out there as well. I thought he signed. No, that was, a. Uh, no, the Mets picked someone else up. Never mind, not Jason Romero. Bobby Say's out there. The Rockies had him at one point, but I wasn't a big fan. Scott Schoenweiss is probably on his last legs. Uh, boy, Will Omen's out there. I like the sound of Will Omen. He had a couple... The Rockies were tar- linked to Will Omen a couple years ago. And uh, the Dodgers were as well. I think that they're the ones who ended up signing him. It's funny because his name is literally spelled O-Man. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because it is. There, um, there's some funny relief pitcher names out there, like uh, David Risky and uh, a couple others. Grant Balfour, that's my favorite. Yeah, in fact, there was a there was a really funny ESPN board thread once that uh, was saying like, take somebody's first name in baseball and somebody's last name in baseball and make it a really awesome name. And somebody took Chase Utley and Grant Balfour for the name Chase Balfour. That's funny. That's yeah, really is. good. No, but I remember someone complaining about uh, Grant Ball for him and trying to like find some clever name. Be like, more like Grant Ball Soccer or something stupid or inappropriate like that. And when Ball for is already funny enough. And somebody posting goes, <laughs> why on earth would you have to work harder than... His name is already Ball for. What on earth do you want out of this guy? <laughs> yeah. But, um, I'm looking at Will Omen's splits right now because I had forgotten about his name and I'm kind of intrigued again now. Let's see. Platoon splits um, versus lefties as a lefty pitcher. He allows a 636 OPS. He walks, again, too many lefties, which doesn't make me happy. That's just 2010. For his career, we are looking at uh, versus lefties especially, because you know how Jim Tracy likes his lefties. Um, 646 OPS over his career and a 208 batting average. Again, too many walks, but it's somewhat excusable. Right-handers hit him significantly harder. Hmm. The 760 OPS versus right-handers. Not a giant fan of that. Mm-hmm. But um, he's very effective against left-handers, which is likely where someone like him would be used. But, uh, well, it kind of depends on how they want to, Jim Tracy wants to handle the bullpen. Because if you look to 2010, we saw um, you had two lefties in the bullpen, you know, full-time, which is at least for most of the season, which between Flores and Joe Bimel. And Joe Bimel quickly uh, rose to love Flores as being the setup lefty, where him and Matt Belial would split the seventh, Betancourt the eighth, or maybe Bimel would start off the eighth, and then Betancourt would clean it up. Mm-hmm. And depending on what order the opposing batters were in, and then Streak gets the ninth. Well, if they, um, it kind of depends on what they would do with uh, Matt Reynolds if they were to pick up Matt Reynolds and then someone like Will Omen or Pedro Feliciano. Would they, which one would end up being the setup lefty and which one would end up being the mop-up lefty? Because you bring Flores in in the sixth inning when the starting pitcher got into a jam and there's two lefties coming up and there's only one out, you bring in Flores. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't waste Joe Bimel in the sixth inning. You save him for the seventh or the eighth. At least that's what seemed to be the management mentality there. Yes. 
Definitely. So that seems to that that is a question that I raise. Do they trust Matt Reynolds being that setup lefty, or will he be the Randy Flores mop up lefty, or they get the pitcher out of the, they get the starter out of the jam before we go to the bullpen lefty? I would say that they would hope that he would become the setup lefty, and Franklin Morales could take care of the odds and ends bits. But uh, it could just as easily be the opposite if if Morales has you know finds himself and uh, Matt Reynolds maybe is still has has some ways to go easing into a regular major league role. I mean, look, Matt Reynolds was great in the month and a half or so that he was up, but and and we did use him in some key le- key leverage situations and he did okay. But, you know, small sample size and all that. <laughs> yeah, Reynolds um he only pitched uh, 18 innings, but he appeared in 21 games, but uh a lot of his strikeouts of 8.5, walks 2.5, and those numbers are not going to... I mean, just like Matt Daly. Well, Matt Daly yeah. is kind of a case. Matt Daly got hurt, so you couldn't really get a good analysis on whether guys adjusted to him or not, which could make 2011 interesting for him if he can make it back to the majors because batters didn't have a second season to look at him, and so they might have forgotten what happened in their first season, and then he might be able to kind of reclaim that rookie effectiveness again. But there's no doubt that batters are going to hit Reynolds harder this year than they did last year. You look at his splits here versus lefties and righties, and you figure with a guy with good strikeout potential like Matt Reynolds um, that he'd be mowing them down. And, yeah, he did. Lefties did struggle. Um, actually, he killed lefties. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I remember at one point we looked in there, and it was before the season had ended, so there was only like 10 games in there. And Reynolds is actually worse against lefties. But as the season you know finished and he got at least a, a passable chunk of work under his belt, uh, he faced, uh, let's see, 33 righties. They batted 603 off of or 603 OPS off of him. He faced uh, 37 lefties. They OPS under 500 against him, and he struck out six of them and only walked one. Whereas 11 to four for righties. So mm-hmm. I mean, very promising. There's no doubt that he's going to make the club. I and I think they're going to try starting him out unless they bring in someone. Unless they bring back Bimel or bring in someone like P- Pedro Feliciano or Will Omen. Um, Reynolds, if they just stick with who we have, likely Matt Reynolds will be the setup guy, and Morales will be the odds and ends, like yes. you said. Yes. Okay, so we're at 56 minutes here, and uh, there's probably a ton more we could talk about, maybe the outfield roster spot and all that stuff. But Bill Garner. I, yeah, I, I, I'll, I, I guess I'll touch on that. I still don't know if we're going to even have a fifth outfielder, like a traditional fifth outfielder. We might go with some weird hybrid of... Eric Young and Ty Wigginton as, like, the fifth left fielder or whatever. Uh, well, considering that we have two center fielders and Gonzalez and Fowler, they'll keep Fowler in center, have Gonzalez in left, so that way they can have the two of them splitting that gigantic gap. And uh, Smith or whoever will be the uh, – or Smith and Spilly will be the right fielders. Uh-huh. Which is weird to think about anyone but Brad Hopp in right field. It is. Um, and, and, and similarly, it's weird to think of anyone but Larry Walker in right field as well. But uh, I, I guess I'll just summarize that Garner, Garner is definitely the player who we, we would go with if we do add a traditional fifth outfielder. Though uh, Rocks Girls article today mentions Charlie Blackmon as, I guess, kind of an outside shot of being added to the roster. But I don't know about that. Um, when it comes to the fifth outfielder spot, if I it, when I make a roster construction, if I need a fifth outfielder, I keep a fifth outfielder up if I only have one center fielder and my other three outfielders are corner outfielders. 
So you bring a fifth outfielder up, like a Corey Sullivan type, who can play center field and doesn't necessarily have the strongest bat. In our case, though, we don't need a fifth outfielder, like you said, because Ty Wigginton, and I'm kind of doing the air quotes thing here, but can play the corner outfield spots. Well, and we have, it's the same with Eric Young. He can play left field. He's not an outfielder, really. I'd argue that Wigginton would be slightly more effective just based on extra playing time. Throwing EY in the outfield is kind of a... Well, I, I, yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is we we could p- potentially have those two players on the roster able to do that. And I also know that they've considered Jonathan Herrera as being tried in the outfield. Even though he had, he doesn't he hasn't logged any like game hours in the outfield, people say that he like takes outfield practice like every day. So, I guess like just in case let's say all the other options are down, they could presumably throw him uh, out there. But again, when it comes to those guys, we still don't know who's going to be on the roster. So, I don't like the idea of Herrera in the outfield. I won't lie to you, but... I don't I don't really either, but I, again, it's just a possibility to, to keep open, I guess. So as it stands right now, the season started tomorrow. Um, you'd have Helen at first, backed up by Wigginton. Second base would be Jose Lopez, backed up by Johnny Herrera. Shortstop Tulowitzki, backed up by Johnny Herrera. Third base Stewart, backed up by Wigginton. Catcher uh, Ionetta, backed up by, I would say, McHenry. I would, yes. I have zero faith in Pagnaga. He looks no better than any of the other options that I mentioned out of the free agents. Uh Uh, Left field Gonzalez, backed up by Spilly. Center field Fowler, backed up by Gonzalez. And uh, right field uh, Smith, backed up by Spilly as well. And then the corners both being backed up as well by Wigginton. The rotation is set. We have Ubaldo, probably De La Rosa. I would say Hamill. No, Hamill or Jacine. I, they might go with Hamill just based on veteran experience. But the way he finished 2010, I'm more likely to say he'd be the number four. Mm-hmm. So Jacine in the three, Hamill in the four, and then uh, Aaron Cook in the five. Bullpens looking like street closing. Betancourt setting up. Fat Belial in the seventh. Um, Matt Reynolds being the lefty mixing that guy, Franklin Morales, the other lefty mixing guy, and am I missing someone big there? Paulino and Rogers. That's right, thank you. Esmiel Rodgers. Well, yeah, we have Rod- that, that, That's not outside of the roster yet, so I think the two of them are still. Well, Paulino will be there if he's not starting for some reason, and uh, well, he won't be starting in my opinion. Well, I, the reason he'd be starting is if somebody got hurt, like Jeff Francis did last year. Uh, but Rogers again, his situation is weird. Uh, I don't, know, I can't confirm that he has a fourth option year, but from my calculations, he should. Uh, so again, they probably won't put him in the bullpen if they can have him starting a Triple A. But if there's no other place for him, he'll probably wind up there unless we trade him. So yeah, um, which isn't out of the the realms of possibility quite yet. Now, you only named 24 players. You named 12 position players, so we have room for one more, which, which, is, would, uh, which is where I would put Eric Young. But uh, You put Eric Young? Well, that wouldn't be a bad spot. If we're talking about a, 24th, a 25th roster spot. We already have a good defensive backup for uh, you know, the outfield and the infield. Yeah. Um, or at least our defensive base is covered, uh-huh. so to speak. Um, you can afford to have a you know, Jason Giambi or Eric Young, or basically a one-dimensional type player, just to add that extra chess piece. He'd be a pinch runner, and again, like I said, an emergency outfielder type, I guess. Uh, but, anyway, uh, we're now over an hour, so I want to go over a couple notes regarding the uh, the podcast here. Um, beginning in 2011, we're going to be rebranding ourselves a little bit. This is going to be the last 
show that airs under the name Robot Radio. We're going to have a new name and uh, possibly a significantly different format. I don't know yet exactly what's going to be different, but we did get a few suggestions from people in the last comment section, and we thank you guys for that. Um, in regards to guests on the podcast, uh, that is definitely something we've wanted to do for some time, and the only real reason it didn't happen this year is because of technological reasons and because of just general busyness. But I think that it's something that you guys don't have to worry about. We'll get some more variety in the people that are here. Uh, so far as I know right now, the two of us are going to remain the main two co-hosts, but uh, Andrew might be, uh, I believe... Uh, I believe you said that you might yield to other people on occasion for uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, um, co-hosting duties. As of now, we're still the two regulars, basically. But uh, I don't know where it's going to go uh, other than that. But we will be looking for other people, including people on the blog who might be interested in joining us every once in a while to uh, to talk with us and just ch- share some uh, some fan thoughts on various issues. Uh, one of the other suggestions was that we get some of the other writers to participate from Purple Row. And I've talked to a couple of them, but as it stands right now, I think for the most part, most of them are either too nervous or not interested. <laughs> so, uh. I'll see if I can throw some, uh, editor weight around. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've tried to get, uh, I've tried to get Andrew Fisher a couple times. And it, it hasn't worked out yet, but uh, you know, I, I, I know most of these guys pretty well, so I think uh, I think we'll be able to get some some variety on every once in a while. And if anyone's interested in maybe trying to get on with us or uh, just share some some thought that you have, uh, go ahead and send us an email or a comment. And by the way, uh, everyone keeps saying, "Oh, I have some fan questions." Well, we'd love to, but nobody sends them in anymore. <laughs> Uh, after, like, the first month and a half of the podcast, it seemed like nobody was commenting or sending us emails with questions anymore. But if you want us to talk about any subjects next year, just post a comment or send an email, and we'll totally uh, read them and be on top of that. So, yeah, Going forward, as far as, uh, you know, um, the rebranding and the name stuff, uh, did we tell them the new name yet? I, I, I forgot if we said that or not. Uh, since you... I guess can go for it. I did. Well, it's not it's not an epic change. Uh, no. So, so Robot Radio was a fun name, and I'm glad that everybody who uh, participated in the naming uh, got to pick something fun. But in the interest of trying to, you know, one of the things I want to do with Purple Row as the uh, as one of the editors is to grow the brand name of Purple Row a bit. And it sounds a bit silly to say the brand name of a blog, but uh, it's, you know, this blog it's, it's still a brand name. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we, the name of uh, Robot Radio, it caters to the fans of Purple Row and the people who are regularly on Purple Row. But um, the downside is of that is that people might not know what it is. What's I mean, a robot? robot <laughs> when you hear <laughs> Robot Radio, if you're not a Purple Row very much regular, you don't you don't think about baseball. You think about it's they're 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 robots that that grow. I don't understand <laughs> this, what, what I'm looking at here. Um, so we'll be changing the name of the podcast to Purple Row Radio coming up in the 2011, for the 2011 season. And our first episode in January will be under the name Purple Row Radio. We're going to be making a shift on uh, where you can acquire or get, get your hands on the podcast. And that will be at purplerowradio.com. Um, if you go there now, you'll just find a placeholder. But within the month here, we're going to have uh, 
all the Robot Radio archives moved over to PurpleRowRadio.com, and uh, yes, yeah, so you'll be able to go there just you know that much more easily to find the archives, listen to the new episodes, and you'll be adjusting your RSS feeds as well. But we'll have more information about that when we uh, get all this stuff finalized. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, we still aren't completely sure. We, we we haven't built every new piece of of the of this new system yet, so we'll see where it goes. The other segment I'm looking into working into is um, we've had a few people suggesting that they like the banter between Greg and I, and that will still be the majority of the show. Uh, we do want to add a. I was we were just talking before we recorded today about maybe making a transaction segment. Um, not necessarily every single move that happens in the Pioneer League or whatever, but Rocky's trades, Rocky's you know big roster moves. You know this hot prospect got a promotion, this hot prospect hit the disabled list, or major trades that happen in baseball that will directly affect the Rockies going forward, or maybe indirectly affect them. But you know, it's you know, things that are relevant to Rockies fans and the franchise's development. Um, Additionally, one thing I do, I'm, we might, might, might look into, so don't uh, mark your calendars on this one yet, but we might look into a Ustream live podcast, but uh, we'll need to see some more, uh, you know, user interaction from that, because we're not yeah. going to do a live, we're not going to do a live stream if we don't have people who are going to call in and ask us questions. We we have looked into that before, not really seriously, but we, we know that a lot of podcasts do live shows, and it's something we'd be interested in doing, but at the same time, uh, one concern on my part is I don't know exactly. Ex- uh, I mean, beyond the the necessity of people calling in and participating in like the chat room and stuff, we also don't. Re- I I don't really know how exciting we can make a live podcast about baseball other than like covering a game live or something like that. I mean, it wouldn't be that different than doing a recorded podcast that had the same material. I don't I don't really know exactly what the live aspects would, would bring to bring fire to the, the show. Uh but it's definitely some, it's definitely something that we are considering and we'll we'll see if we can figure out a way to make it happen and make it exciting. So So for all six so for all six of you listening out there, um hi mom. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm kidding. My mother doesn't listen to this either. I wouldn't want her to listen to this. She'll be I, bored out of her mind. I think we have more than six people listening. We just don't have more than six people uh, commenting or uh, really doing anything other than listening. So yeah. we want to well, encourage we 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 want to encourage everybody to get involved and you know give us suggestions, give us comments, and just add sort of a a uh, a fan based uh, community going on here. Because uh, you remember, this podcast is for you guys too. And I mean, it's fun for us to get on the air here and and blather on about baseball transactions and trades and make stupid jokes about Franklin Morales for you know an hour. But uh, we, if it's not something you want to hear specifically, tell us what you want to hear specifically. Because I mean, it's not as if I'm not covering baseball all week long. I'm you know plenty happy with shifting what I'm talking about. Yeah, so um, with that, I don't know that there's much more else to cover. Uh, I don't know yet, well, I guess we don't know yet exactly when the the first uh, 2011 episode is going to be ready. Uh, We still have some, some procedures to go through. Uh, getting all that stuff set up, and like like Andrew mentioned, we're going to try for January. It's probably not going to be early January, but once we get it going, we're going to be back to the weekly uh, format, and uh, we won't have any more three week 
breaks at least until next off season and even then if we get uh if we get more segments and stuff we might have more to talk about but for now we're going to be signing off through the holidays and then through at least the first couple weeks of january probably and we'll give you an update on the blog um as to when we know we're going to be back and uh yeah i guess for for the sake of branding for anybody who might listen to this podcast who does not participate at purplerow.com Work your way over there and get to know uh, get to know the community and uh, and all that jazz. All this stuff. Yep. All right. So with that, uh, we're gonna sign off. So uh, we'll see you in. We'll we'll see you in 2011. Have a good holiday, everybody. And uh, we'll be back under a new name in a few weeks. Take care.